Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm politics editor Scott Schaefer, in for Alexis Madrigal. Less than a month ago, the FBI indicted a major local real estate developer for allegedly bribing three San Francisco officials to obtain permits and expedite inspections. It's just the latest chapter in a saga that began three years ago when the FBI arrested San Francisco's director of public works, Mohamed Nuru. Their investigation found Nuru at the center of a broad corruption scheme in the city. He's now serving a seven-year sentence in federal prison. Others have resigned city jobs or pleaded guilty. And the investigations continue. This hour, San Francisco's apparent culture of corruption. That's coming up next after this news. Good morning and welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in today for Alexis Madrigal. Well, for the past three years, the FBI has been prosecuting corruption in San Francisco city government. The result? Indictments, convictions and plea deals. And it's not over yet. The federal investigation has revealed a pattern of bribes and illegal gifts like overseas trips, fancy watches and steak dinners in exchange for city contracts and expedited building permits and other favors. Former Public Works Director Mohamed Nuru was at the center of it all. He's in federal prison now after pleading guilty, but he's far from the only one charged with corruption, and the fallout has been widespread in city government. So this hour, we're going to examine this pattern of corruption in San Francisco, why it's been allowed to fester for so long, and the impact it's had on the city and people who live here. Let's begin with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, my colleague here at KQED, a politics reporter. Hey, Joe. Hey there. Well, I know we have a lot of moving parts in this investigation, but let's give us the Cliff Notes version of this investigation, Joe. Who are some of the big players, and how did we get to where we are now? Yeah, Scott, it it really is surprising to me how widespread this has gotten. Not a shock that it can be a little difficult to wrap your arms around it, but it really has touched so many departments in the city. We've seen Harlan Kelly indicted from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. As you mentioned, Mohamed Nuru from Public Works. This has touched the mayor's office, her fix-it team. We've had uh, uh, folks indicted who are still going through Uh, the process right now of being sentenced. It really has touched everywhere. And it's not just the feds. The district attorney's office has charged people in this unfolding corruption scandal, and the city's attorney's office has touched on this. Yeah. So tell us about Mohamed Nuru. Like, how is it that the head of DPW got to become, A, the fixer for so many people, including members of the Board of Soups, who would pick up the phone and ask him to do something in their district or get something done in their district? Tell us about him. What kind of character is he? 
Well, sure. Uh, Nuru was really beloved by a lot of city officials. I mean, he had the nickname Mr. Clean because you could just ironically, go, <laughs> yes, quite ironically, <laughs> you could ask him to go fix up any neighborhood, and he'd send a team right away. If your constituents were angry about a blighted block, he would make sure it was clean. That got him in the good graces of a lot of people, and he used that goodwill in a way to kind of position himself as a mover and a shaker and someone who could make things happen. And, and what was his connection with uh, London Breed, the mayor? Sure. Well, you know, um, uh, London Breed did reveal shortly after uh, Nuru was indicted that she did have a romantic relationship at one point with Nuru. Uh, but, you know, she was also his boss. He was public works director. She's mayor. Uh, she had also had a, a car uh, fixed up by him uh, as a gift. Hmm. And how did this, you know, this scheme kind of work? I mean, I know there were different things going on, including like contributions to, you know, favorite charities in exchange for favors. Uh, but what was the, is there, was there a pattern to this? So this is where we see this other character come in. Nick Bovis, the restaurateur, owner of Lefty O'Doul's and the Gold Dust Lounge, a kind of local favorite, you may recall, and RIP Gold Dust. Uh, <laughs> but he, he set up a fake baseball charity based on Lefty, right? And this baseball charity ostensibly was supposed to be raising money to buy mitts for kids and baseball bats and help the who could be against that? Right, exactly. Very lovable causes. <laughs> but so it just so happened that very good friends of Muhammad Nuru, including contractors and people with a lot of money and business before the city, donated to to Bovis's charity. And that money didn't actually make it into getting these mitts necessarily. They bought lavish parties for Nuru's uh, 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 folks at Public Works. And what did Bovis get out of it? So Bovis was trying to get uh, a few things. He was m centrally trying to get a uh, restaurant placed in the airport commission, and they tried bribing an airport commissioner. Uh, he was trying to gain access and city favors and uh, all over the place. He uh, uh, also had uh, provided Mayor London Breed at one point with a pride float, which was a story I did a few years back, uh, which she later got dinged by the ethics commission for. I want to just mention one other player here, Walter Wong, who was known for decades in San Francisco as another kind of fixer, a permit expediter. Um, tell us about him and how he fits into this uh, scheme. Sure. And this is our web continues to yeah. widen, right? <laughs> so Walter Wong is a construction, con construction contractor, but also what we call a permit expediter. This is really, this is a crazy thing, just really unique to San Francisco, right? It's our laws around building housing and around other things around housing permitting are so Byzantine, so crazy with so many nooks and crannies. You need a guide to get through them, really. So people would pay uh, Walter Wong to help them navigate that. And so he was really trying to uh, uh, get favorable contracts with uh, uh, with uh, Harlan Kelly, but also Harlan trying Kelly to- from PUC. From the PUC, but also serving as a middleman for a wealthy Chinese developer uh, who wanted to have a development built here in the city and wanted Nuru's help to get it done. So he helped connect them. Okay. Well, and we haven't even talked about recology, the waste uh, hauler. We'll get to that in a minute. But let me bring in another guest right now. Jason McDaniel is an associate professor of political science at San Francisco State University. And Jason, um, tell us your impressions of San Francisco politics. I mean, you know, Mohammed Nuru was not brought in to city government by, by London Breed. I mean, he was brought in by like, Willie Brown. By right? Willie Brown. 
um, and, and he served the interest of several mayors, right? Um, uh, he and many of the people, uh, the characters that Joe uh, was describing were invited into the government, spent uh, uh, time on commissions, uh, appointed to commissions. You know, that kind of thread goes throughout this. Um, and I think, he, I think Joe made it quite clear. Uh, he was famously known for being responsive to political leaders, community leaders, right? Um, he was responsive to a lot of the things that people in San Francisco wanted. And I think that is at the root a lot of what we're seeing in these some of these different scandals is that they're serving some of the interests of, of a lot of voters or important groups in the city. And he was promoted by, I think, Gavin Newsom and then Ed Lee. Uh, so he he's well known, as, as all these folks were. I mean, Harlan Kelly, the former head of the PUC, his wife, Naomi Kelly, who had been appointed to a high-level government position in city government, the uh, chief administrative officer. Both of them have now resigned. Um, and they, too, are close with Willie Brown. I mean, is that just a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence, but I also, um, you know, the idea of the City Hall family in San Francisco, this idea that uh, there was a lot of connections socially, professionally, uh, in the community. Um, and I think this this can make people feel a little bit too trusting, that sense that they know them, that they're friends, these are good people. And so it creates avenues for people to at least look the other way, incentives to look the other way, perhaps, from our, from our political leaders who should have probably had better judgment on some of these cases, at least. And, and so many of these, uh, you know, what was what people were trying to get from these bribes and favors was just like a permit, <laughs> you know, a little help. And, and, and I, I, in some of the reading I did before the show, like, I think the average time to get a multi-unit housing permit is 630 days. In Houston, it's 10 days. So there's like, why bother bribing anybody if it's 10 days? So is there something about the system of politics and process in San Francisco that lends itself to this kind of corruption? I think that's exactly it. I I would invite, you know, the audience to consider that these scandals, building permits, permit expediters, contracts, these there's some related scandals that we haven't even talked about related to hiring people and, and, and city government getting jobs, that sort of thing, that they are... They are not separate from us as voters and as the community, right? That they are often, it's not that San Francisco is uniquely corrupt, not even close, right? I, in fact, I'm, I suspect we're probably one of the less corrupt cities, although that might be sound outrageous to people right now. But the idea that, that these scandals are created by the fact that there are systems that we, the voters, have created, that we, the voters, or past voters, you know, past electorates have created that are more or less serving some of our interests and some of our values. For instance, the idea of these very complex building permits and building requirements, that is something that the, our political leaders, our community leaders have created over decades because they, a lot of people perceive housing to be a burden, a negative cost that, that, is a, that we should not have to bear, right? And so we create a system that is complex to get through because it serves the interest of a lot of different parts of our community. Mm. And so therefore we create the incentives for people to have to, 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 who have a lot of money during a time of especially tech booms and, and, and international globaliz- globalized finance that, that have the money, want to expedite these things. I think that is about the systems that we create. Well, and Joe, that is part of the problem is that, yeah, if you have the money, if you're a developer, if you're a wealthy individual, you can pay Walter Wong or somebody like him to expedite. But the average person, a small business owner, you know, just a homeowner trying to put in a new kitchen or a bathroom or a new unit, uh, they can't necessarily do that. So you create these different levels of service from the planning department and the, and the DBI, the Department of Building Inspection. Oh, absolutely. And and this is where we really touch on the real world impacts. Like if someone is at home going, what? how does this corruption even impact me? I, I don't feel it in my daily life. Well, if you rent or own in San Francisco, you, you might have. If you rent in San Francisco, your landlord is trying to get important fixes, whether that is making sure you're up to fire code or various safety provisions. Like those are things that those inspectors, some of 
whom were caught taking bribes, these lower level people we haven't even really touched on yet, um, were supposed to sign off on. But do you trust a corrupt building inspector who took bribes to inspect your building for safety? Well, and as the saying goes, time is money. The longer it takes to build these things, the more expensive they are. And that also affects the cost of housing, the cost of rent. Absolutely. Yeah. Jason? I would add that, you know, the it seems to me the center of, of the Muhammad Nuru, uh, you know, scandal is the recology rate hikes, right? That they, that was all about him lobbying for higher rates, you know, approving higher rates on us, you know, and so, you know, Maybe uh, $100 million of the San Francisco voters and, and the community paid for higher uh, energy costs uh, or higher waste disposal costs. That's real impact on people. It perhaps goes underneath our notice, yeah. right? Uh, but that is really important. And, and the cost of housing, I think, all of these, though, are also connected to values that we share. The recology contract was not gotten rid of after the Mohammed Nuru scandal. They just it got was, a rate increase. It, it was re-approved and rate increased because the, at the time, the city leaders, including people like Aaron Peskin and other people in, 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 on the Board of Supervisors, said that the report, I think, of the city said that this served our values, our goals of, of, of zero waste and lower and save the city money compared to uh, um, other possible uh, ways of doing waste disposal. And I think it's interesting as a political scientist, that is in our 1932 city charter, the recology uh, 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 sort of legal monopoly that was created in 1932. Uh, that is why that is you know we we go with recology yeah. and rather than it's a non-competitive bidding bid. contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So Nuru was taking bribes, right? While he was at the same time setting those recology rates, the trash rates for everyone in San Francisco. But we also need to acknowledge that the, the, some of the recology folks were indicted as well, some of their upper management. So this has touched on a lot of different. Yeah, people. The, and there was some. Uh, was there some uh, guilty pleas or some plea deals right. with your college yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. All right. Paul Justy. Still much more to dig into. Uh, the culture of corruption, is it an exception or is it part of a pattern? It seems to be part of a pattern based on this FBI investigation. We're going to continue our conversation with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez and Jason McDaniel and bring in another guest as well. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have a small business, if you're a homeowner, a developer, or an architect, what experiences have you had with San Francisco's Department of Building Inspection or the planning department, for that matter. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can reach us on Twitter, X, if you prefer, Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this morning for Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about ethics in San Francisco government. There are ethics somewhere, a lot of places, actually. Uh, But the FBI, of course, has been on a tear 
looking into corruption in the city, influence uh, in the Department of Building Inspection. That's what we're talking about this uh, this hour with Joe Rodriguez, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez from KQED, Jason McDaniel from uh, San Francisco State University. And let me bring in Joanne Spears. She's a principal with S2 Ethics Strategies. She's a former chief executive of the Institute for Local Government uh, and former general counselor for the League of California Cities as well. Joanne Spears, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So you've been listening to this conversation, I assume. Uh, tell us, you know, what are your impressions? You have a little bit of distance from this. You're not, uh, you know, in, in, right here in San Francisco, but as someone who has experience with how cities operate, um, what's your impression? Well, uh, I, I think it's important to recognize that San Francisco does a lot of things right as it relates to ethics. Uh they have an ethics commission. They have a uh, city controller's office that when these things that we've been discussing happen, looks into, well, what actually caused this problem? They also have a very uh, active and talented city attorney's office. And so I, I think we need to credit the city for working hard on ethics. They also have a lot, a lot of ethics laws that go above and beyond the state ethics laws that are also quite extensive. And so I, I'm not sure the issue is we need more laws or rules. I, I think it's also important to remember, um, as you're thinking about this comparatively, that San Francisco is a very large city. It's not certainly the largest city in California, but it's one of the largest cities. And what makes it unique is that it's um, a city and county. So it has more responsibilities. It has f some 40,000 employees. And uh, one of the things I'd like to get into in our conversation is, is sort of the, the human frailties that we all have. But the point is that if you have a lot of employees, you have a lot of potential for people to make uh, misjudgments. And as Jason said, um, you also have a strong organizational culture, and that organizational culture can either support ethical decision-making and putting the public's interest first, or it could be something different, which I think is what uh, has been described the, this morning. So those are some of my uh, big picture uh, observations. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate your pointing out that uh, there is a robust city attorney's office. There are a lot of things the city does right. We do public financing of campaigns, which a lot of folks would say money in politics is, is a big problem. Um, and yet, you know, these all of these things have been uncovered by the FBI. And I guess you could say in a city with, you know, 30, 35,000 employees, maybe it's a drop in the bucket. Um, but are there, are there some best practices that you're aware of that cities, governments generally use to prevent these kind of things from happening that didn't happen in San Francisco in this case? Uh, there are. And, and I think that uh, you're asking a policy question. And the first thing to understand when you're trying to use policy to solve a problem is to understand exactly what the problem is. And it's a misperception that ethical lapses are caused by people who are sociopaths, people who have no regard for right and wrong. 
I am confident that all of the city and county of San Francisco's employees are good people. They intend to do the right thing. Like the rest of us, they consider themselves to be good and ethical people. But the problem is that, and there's actually a science to this, the problem is even though we all consider ourselves to be good people, we are subject to human frailties. And some of those frailties are situational. We tend to take our cues from those around us. That's technically called conformity bias. And if you have an organizational culture, that's a strong influence on our behavior. Uh, we also have a tendency to defer to those who are our uh, su uh, supervisors. So that's obedience to authority. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, bias. Yeah. The yeah. other thing we tend to do is um, we tend to be overconfident about our our ability to see the ethical dimensions of situations. We have two kinds of thinking, and the kind of automatic, usual kind of thinking we engage in has some really serious uh, uh, blind spots that can cause us to think more about what we want to do in a situation as opposed to what we ought to do. Yeah, that's Joanne Spears. She's a principal with S2 Ethics Strategies. Joe Fitz, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, jo Joanne made a really great point about, you know, what we imagine these folks are like who are taking these bribes. They're not necessarily the mustache-twirling villains you might imagine. I was I was in court when Rodrigo Santos, who's a, a former uh, Department of Building Inspection Commission president, he served on the city college board, was, uh, uh, you know, when he was facing the judge over his crimes, right? And he was asking for leniencies, asking for a lenient sentence. He had dozens of people in there talking about what a wonderful neighbor he was. Was, what a wonderful father he was, how he helped his brother in financial terrible times and the community giving money here and there and everywhere. Uh, it, by all, he, he said, you know, I never drive in the city. I bike. <laughs> well, and yet he was forging his name onto checks. He was forging his name onto checks. He would take the DBI and write his name Rodrigo around it so it looked like Rodrigo Santos. And I mean, and he, a lot of money. Million, um, like a, near a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So- Character witnesses are great, but, you know, maybe that's a mitigating, you know, uh, oh, absolutely. consideration for the judge. But he was appointed by sitting mayors to commissions. This is someone that, you know, people thought of as a good person. Yeah. All right. We uh, have some calls, and I want to give out the phone number again, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And why don't we begin in Mill Valley with Frank. Welcome. You're first. Hi, um, I, I'm a lawyer who has some tangential involvement with this kind of stuff, and I'd like to take sharp issue with Ms. Spears, um, because I think what we're dealing with is deliberate corruption. This is not uh, peer pressure, etc., but rather it's a common uh, syndrome or feature in city government where once a group gets a, uh, a hold of the levers of power, there's a tendency to reward your supporters by, in effect, saying it's our turn to dip our beaks in the city treasury. And this was not accidental. This, this, but it's also, I don't think in any way unique to San Francisco. The problem is we have a good city attorney's office, but these people were actively concealing what they were doing from the city. 
uh, I, I think the the focus of the investigation or the focus of the learning curve here is um, creating very something very much like the you know Citizens Police Commission, where uh, there's a non interested. Oh, uh, interested in yeah, kind of an oversight body. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about that, Joe, because the Department of Public Works, unlike most city departments, like health department, police, port, and so on, they don't. They didn't have a commission overseeing that. That's right. And so, t- talk about the role that perhaps that lack of oversight played. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Muhammad Nuru essentially was able to just say yes to uh, to uh, uh, to people who had business before the city when he wanted something built, whatever, what have you, before the Department of Public Wo- uh, Department of Public Works, he could just greenlight that himself, which made him a vector for these gifts for trying to curry favor. If you only have one person to bribe, a lot easier than trying for a whole commission. And much less transparency because it's not being done and none of it is being revealed in a public hearing. Absolutely. And commissions aren't perfect either. That's not a a perfect solution, but it is one part of the solution. Jason? I want to add a little bit to that. Actually, Nuru had, did have to lobby a rate hiking commission for a lot of the recology stuff. So not everything, not every project, he could approve a lot of contracts true, himself. True. But for that one, he did. And I would say that I would point out that in 2012, there was a proposition put before voters to change that rate hiking process to put it into the Board of Supervisors. And it was resoundingly defeated by the voters. Right. And a bipartisan way, both parties uh, endorsed uh, the no on that. Uh, So I think it says that, you know, a lot of times these serve our values at times. Right. Or they're really difficult things to change. And I would challenge, you know, the caller who said, you know, I I think the idea that this is sort of some group that comes in and and wants to dip into the city treasury. I think this is something that it's often you know, a feature of city government that, uh, you know, we should not necessarily then say, oh, let's create more laws or more commissions. Actually, I think a lot of the answers to a lot of these scandals have been easier, you know, uh, regulations, simpler, clearer regulations and laws that would remove control from bureaucracy, remove control from the politicians, remove some control from the community. And I think a lot of people in San Francisco would say, no, we don't want that. We don't want deregulation, so to speak, or, or you know, that, that kind of thing. And yet these... These are all bureaucrats that have the incentive uh, uh, to to do some self-dealing because of these helping people get around complex rules. And, and Joanne Spears, I want to give you a chance to respond to what Frank, the caller, said a moment ago, that this is endemic in cities and disagreeing with, with your point. Well, and I, I think that's a fair point. And the point I was trying to make is that when you're thinking about what the solution is, you have to think about the problem. And the problem is... Um, Gifts and bribes are intrinsically attractive to us as humans. And the question is, how do you how do you counteract that human tendency? Um, as was mentioned, you can have rules, but they can get awfully complex. And a point I'd like to make is that um, we're talking about a culture. And it sounds to me like we really need to talk about how you change the culture of the city and and county of San Francisco. And one thing to do is to have, is to be clear uh, on, on how business should be done. And that clarity and those messages need to come from the city's top leaders and percolate on down. Um, a statement of organizational values. Um, some departments have adopted those in San Francisco, but there's no state. I'm sorry, no citywide uh, statement of values that provides 
unequivocal uh, direction to the folks working in the city on how they should do their work uh, and what's important. And uh, uh, that it, in addition to getting the job done, it's important how the work gets done. And those that how should be guided by values like uh, uh, what's in the public's interest, setting personal interests aside, uh, the importance of trust, the importance of fair process, the importance of transparency. Uh, and so uh, that's something that can be really helpful to organizations as they're trying to shape their culture to be the kind of culture that actually promotes trouble, public yeah. trust yeah. and Joe, confidence. So, yeah, so so re- not exactly that, but related to that, the, the city's ethics commission uh, is placing something on the March ballot. Uh, for voters to consider that do a number of things, but one of them is to take those values that uh, your guest is speaking about and the training and give that to city employees more broadly. We have it right now just for department heads, but the Ethics Commission really wants to make sure that all employees down the line are getting that training. This this uh, uh, ballot measure would do a few other things too, including closing some gift loophole exception. Uh, uh, loopholes that were in there for department heads and also for banning gifts from permit expediters like Walter Wong, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go back to the phones and we're going to go to Kristen, who is calling from San Francisco. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Go right ahead. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, my husband and I uh, own a home in San Francisco and we bought it several years ago with the intention to remodel and move in. We thought it would take us a couple of years. It turned out to be like uh, maybe like a six-year process altogether um, of getting through the planning department and then the building department. We even dealt with some of the people that are now being indicted. Um, and it was so what was that burdensome. Like? That I understand. Oh, my God. It was like we were having a nervous breakdown practically every time we would deal with So you needed to pull out a Rolex watch. <laughs> Sorry, oh my go god! Ahead. <laughs> I, I understand. Of course, of course, I understand that now. You know, because having having gone through the process and dealt with all of the twists and turns, we had to get a soils report, and then we had to change the glass to bird safe glass, mm. and we had to deal with the you know neighborhood you know involvement, and it was it was so. I mean, and then the building department people and the planning department people, we were like down there, like basically begging these people. And now I understand, you know, you, you have to pay them off basically. So my question now is like, you know, as a regular old homeowner, we got through it. We we spent way more money than we thought we would have to, because we had two mortgages while we're waiting for all this stuff to happen. Um, Like it was, it was a huge, you know, undertaking and expense. And, you know, we kind of like lost our minds doing it yeah. too a yeah. little bit. Well, and you, you and, were able to get through know, it, but a lot of people would just throw up their hands or it, if they're a small business, you know, <laughs> close their doors. Joe, people give up yeah, and they say, forget up. it. And I'm going to move out of San Francisco. Um, my question now is, hey, can, it, can we all like file a class action lawsuit? Like the city <laughs> knew what was going on for years. You know, and like, yeah. well, I think you know, that, that is the purpose of the, of the FBI investigation to really get to the bottom of all this. But Joe, did you want to like, Yeah, there's a comment few. There's a, uh, so sorry story. you had to go through that, Kristen. There's a few things I'd say to that. You know, one thing is good news may be on the way for homeowners and, and landlords who want to revamp their properties. Uh, the city is going is going through a process right now of potentially cutting a lot of the red tape. And that's under pressure from the state to do so. It's a mandate from it's the a state. Ma- a mandate from the state, yes, by the end of uh, December. But also, you know, if you... 
you have a home that you've had work done on and you've had the Department of Building Inspection look at it, there's actually a great uh, a map on Mission Local's website, missionlocal.org, and you can punch in your uh, address and see if one of the bribed uh, DBI folks worked on your house. Hmm. You could just punch in Mission Local uh, uh, Department Building Inspection Map. <laughs> just Google that. <laughs> All right. Jason, did you want to say something? I just think the, the caller hit, hit the nail on the head, except that, again, I, I invite our listeners to think this is not something that is separate from us, right? It, it's almost – I was almost thinking as she was talking that the, the corruption was how long it takes projects to get approved, <laughs> yeah. right? And the assumption was that – and this might be true, that, that the, the time was because of, you know, not being paid off, not paying off the plan checkers or, or the permit expediters or what have you. But, in fact, it's the, it's the bureaucratic process itself that is perhaps, you know, the source of that corruption. Yeah. That's what I would say. I wonder, do you have any thoughts about this? And this may be a little, a little uh, crazy. But, you know, most big cities are run by Democrats. Uh, and certainly that's true in San Francisco. Do you think – is there anything to be said about, you know, having an – like a loyal opposition, you know, um, not necessarily Republicans, but, you know, I mean, some oversight, some check. So it isn't just a rubber stamp based on one kind of philosophy. Look, we see that, uh, you know, when we look at the the scholarship on corruption in cities, and a lot of that's in other places around the world, that when you have robust political competition and elections that can hold politicians particularly accountable, uh, that you have less corruption. And I would say that San Francisco is a place where, where we have a very engaged electorate. We have a very strong political process. We have very strong ethics laws, right? And at the end of the day, around the, what the scholarship shows us time and time again is that voters don't really hold politicians accountable for corruption uh, in city government, not because they're not necessarily paying attention, that that happens sometimes. It's because they care more about the responsiveness and uh, of the political process and how the politicians are responding to that. All right. We have more to talk about. Stay with us. Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. I'm sorry, 866-733-6786. Mark writes, it's worth pointing out that the FBI is the entity investigating this. The city came around later. That is true, and that investigation very much goes on. Much more to talk about. Join us. I'm Scott Schaefer, here today for Alexis Madrigal. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Alexis Madrigal talking about corruption in San Francisco, an FBI investigation 
going on almost four years now. Joining us, uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter here at KQED, Jason McDaniel, professor of political science at SF State, and Joanne Spears, principal at S2 Ethics Strategies. If you want to join us, it's 866-733-6786, or you can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're at KQED Forum, or if you like, email us at forum at KQED. Dot org. All right, let's go to the phones. And Ben in San Francisco, you're next. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, I was wondering uh, why uh, uh, Director O'Reardon was appointed by Mayor Breen to clean up the corruption. Uh, and uh, he was uh, federally convicted Bernie Kern's direct supervisor for years. Uh, in O'Reardon's deposition in the Dennis Richards case, available online, if you Google Mission Local, uh, Dennis Richards, um, he says that... Uh, uh, you know, um, he uh, talked to Bernie Coran um, over four or five years and told him not to go out of his district. He never transferred him or did anything yeah, to uh, no accountability. correct the situation. I mean, if yeah. that could have been easily corrected. Well, and Joe Fitz, I, I, I seem to remember, you know, Kamala Harris when she was the DA looking into some of the some of these kinds of things at uh, the Department of Building Inspection. I mean, the, there is a long history of problems there. Yeah. You know, you know what they used to say about uh, Walter Wong is that he could just walk into DBI, walk behind the desk and look at the computers himself and just kind of enter things in. And he's not an employee there. He's a permit expediter. He shouldn't have that kind of access. But that's what they used to talk about. It, it, the caller is very correct in that there is a lot of folks still in government at DBI and elsewhere who either serve directly over people who are indicted or who are allies or in positions to, I would say, ostensibly know what was happening. Yeah. And of course, the investigation isn't over. Um, Is there any sense that, uh, and I'll put this to Jason or to Joe, that things have changed in the city as a result of this in one way or another in terms of you know, we know that some of the big department heads have left, Harlan Kelly from the PUC, his wife Naomi Kelly, the former CAO, but anything systemic? You know, I think it's it's probably not the case. I, you know, a lot of new people, you know, I think the most probably impactful change is at least the idea that because the FBI has been doing this, because so many people have been indicted, gone to prison, lost their jobs, that it, I, I suspect at least within the bureaucracy of the city, there's a lot more awareness of this, these possibilities. And, and then, so it's going to rely upon those more indirect effects of, you know, you don't do this sort of thing. You will, you will be punished. If, if not, you know, and it is coming somewhat from our political leaders. I mean, I know, especially city attorney David Chu has done a lot of, 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 of talking about this sort of thing. So I think major things have not necessarily changed, but we've had a lot of, uh, I, I would say the rebate, sort of that recology rebate is a, is a big change, new employees, perhaps the beginning of a new culture, perhaps. Yeah. Well, in fact, we have a listener who wrote in and said, I, I live in the city and I got a recology rebate. I wasn't sure why, but I dug into it and was disgusted by the bribery at the root of my high trash rates. But recology is still my trash hauler. Are there no consequences for bad behavior? And, you know, Jason, you were talking earlier about this longstanding monopoly that uh, recology now, they used to be called Sunset Scavengers. I mean, they've had a number of names, I think, over the NorCal years. NorCal yeah, disposal Nor- yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're very well connected politically. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because they are in the city charter. I mean, that they literally were created to have a legalized monopoly. It's not a city, you know, department. Right. So it's not a public department per se, but they also I, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, on this. They're they're employee owned. Is that correct? Right. And so I think a lot of people would see that as connecting with a lot of things that San Francisco voters like more employee owned organizations, not necessarily more capitalistic, uh, um, no bid contracts. So it, it is possible to change that, but it would require literally changing the charter of the city of San Francisco. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. A lot of what these folks were involved in are things that voters may like, and that if you hear about them ostensibly, you 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 think, wow, they're on the side of good. Like for instance, we haven't even touched on uh, Lenita Henriquez, who is in the city administrator's office, who's been charged by the district attorney uh, with you know uh, taking bribes in order to disperse like more than a million dollars in grants to one guy who uh, Dwayne Jones, who uh, owns a business called RDJ Enterprises, and Dwayne Jones was ostensibly doing great work in the black community. But, you know, if he will, if he is indeed found guilty of having bribed this uh, a city official to get those grants, then what we will have seen is more than a million dollars in grants that could have gone into the black community to help that community there that didn't meet groups who were using it for that. And there ought to be outrage about that, right? At right. the very top of city government. Well, and we are seeing a mayoral election next year. Uh, Mayor London Breed is going to uh, defend her uh, her seat there in the mayor's office uh, against Daniel Lurie uh, and uh, uh, Asha Safai. And, you know, I wonder how much we're going to see this come to play there because Harlan Kelly, uh, uh, Muhammad Nuru, a lot of these folks were longtime London Breed allies, friends, confidants, uh, even uh, Victor Macris, the uh, 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 went for a bank fraud there, and he was celebrating London Breed's birthday with her. How much Daniel Lurie is going to bring that up during the campaign remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the phones now. And Mark in San Francisco, you're next. Welcome. Oh, hey, guys. I've been uh, kind of listening back and forth while I've been running job site to job site this morning. <laughs> and it's, it's a breath of fresh air to hear this being kind of brought to the light a little bit because I've been dealing with this for 30 years. And uh, uh, and part of the reason the feds got in here, I think, maybe been spurred on some one of the things. A few of uh, some colleagues and, and I got together, and we we ended up uh, informing uh, of the feds of the corruption about four years ago. Um, anyway, what's happened now is that the city is completely inept and 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 they're frozen. So the the corruption has caused this issue, this trickle down issue where where people are afraid to to make any decisions because you're better off not doing anything because you can't get in trouble than if you do anything so a, a guy like me that's had a company for 30 years is it's really affecting my bottom line and it's affecting my customers ability to to uh, enjoy their property yeah and, and have you have you thought about leaving the city or not doing business in the city uh, I've already uh, cr- uh, created a, another business in Nevada, and I've, I've licensed and have a business in Nevada currently. So I'm currently working on transitioning. But this is my city. I'm a fourth generation. You know, uh, we put our blood, sweat, and tears into this town, and uh, we, we always believe that, you know, you have to do the right things. And it just seems like, you know, the 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 dark side has prevailed. All the bad things have kind of prevailed, and no one's out there saying, hey, look at, you know, we got to look out for the little guy. And how it's affecting you know my ability to pay my employees. It really comes between me and my ability to. Uh, I hate to say it, but you know, f- put food on the table. Yeah, so that's yeah. the reality of it. Yeah, Mark, thanks so much for sharing that with us, Joanne Spears. You know, to what extent you know is this common where you see the impact on somebody like Mark, a contractor, individual, small business people, to the point where they just like throw up their hands and leave? Well. Uh... It's certainly an understandable reaction, and I, I think the thing that breaks my heart is I hear that uh, 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 coming from a, a, a family of small business people. Is is this is where the opportunity for um, strong leadership message is so important? Um, 
it, it shouldn't be that um, frontline employees are so worried about what they should do that they're not that they're not doing anything and they're not doing the work that they're there to serve the public hmm. uh, in doing. And so uh, it, it, the opportunity here is to again reshape the culture coming from the uppermost levels of leadership in the city to to provide the message of what again how one should do one's job what what kinds of um, behaviors and actions are appropriate and consistent with the city's values mm. so yeah I just um, I'm so sorry f that he feels that way and it it should be a wake-up call to say how can we support our our employees so they know what they are supposed to do mm. um, as opposed to feeling paralyzed apparently and, and uh, Jason I know that San Francisco has a whistleblower program I mean employees who witness things are they have a place to go I mean is does that need to be looked at in terms of strengthening that I think strengthening yes but I think I think Joanne makes the point that you know, we have lots of laws in place, disclosures and transparencies, and and I think, you know, perhaps tightening the the, the rules around nonprofit or you know organizations and donations and gifts, absolutely seems to be look, being looked at and, and needs to be improved. But generally, it's it's going to be about uh, removing the possibilities for people to have discretion in decisions, right? And a and a organizational culture set by our political leaders to make it so that whistleblowers are if. You know, encouraged, listen to a culture that that rejects this kind of corruption. That that is what's required. Talking about corruption scandals that have rocked San Francisco, the FBI investigating, and we're talking with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez from KQED, Jason McDaniel from uh, SF State University, and Joanne Spears, principal with S Two Ethics Strategies. If you want to join us, the number is eight six six seven three three sixty seven eighty six. And we're going to go now to Anne Marie in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, um, I usually write in, but I had to call. I'm calling as a San Francisco resident, a condo owner. I've experienced two, uh, which, two renovated bathrooms. They were over-the-counter uh, permits. I did one myself, and I love San Francisco. I'm concerned that you're making sweeping statements that reflect negatively on the 40,000 uh, San Francisco employees. I think that's not fair. Uh, I agree with Joanne Spears that we can't assume values of individuals. That on, in the onboarding, there should be ethics training, and uh, so people know what is expected and what is, uh, what I say, what is not uh, uh, what is what should not be done, and then that needs to be repeated regularly every year. Yeah. So don't assume values. The other thing is, you know what you're speaking about because you know the various uh, individuals that are involved, but everybody who's listening doesn't know. So I think it would be useful to clarify the number of accused, charged, prosecuted, yeah. because there are a lot of people involved here. 
40, I mean, if I were an employee, and I were, I've been in a corporate situation where people did things that were illegal, and I just didn't do it because that was how that's my value. Yeah. But don't assume values. Train people in the onboarding and make it continual. Yeah, Anne Marie, that's a good point. And you know, in many ways, Joe, um, employees themselves are victims of this system. I mean, they have to. I'm sure people at DBI are harassed all the time from folks who come in and are angry that they didn't get their permit or now they're being asked to do something else. So in some ways, they're victims of this system as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. And it's really worth mentioning that this is a lot of what we've found out is the result of employees of the city risking their jobs, risking retribution from their uh, uh, from their bosses, going to the FBI and other entities and blowing the whistle. I've got some whistleblower stats for you here. In 2014, there were only 292 whistleblower reports, but as of uh, the last year, there were more than 600. They really have spiked and employees are really pushing back against what they're seeing in their departments. Here's a comment from a listener who writes, uh, one of the changes is the improvement at the permit center. While not perfect, it's much more transparent and a permit is more achievable without the need for permit expediters who often grease the wheels at DBI. There seems to be a new commitment by staff to help explain the process. And, uh, you know, certainly that is a step in the in the right direction. Um, on the other hand, Joe, this uh, investigation continues just uh, uh, on Thursday, there was another uh, developer who was charged with conspiracy to c- conspiracy to commit honest services, wire fraud, and so on. So it does make you wonder, like, how long is it? Because it seems like, is it fair to say the quote-unquote big fish have been caught and now they're kind of going down the line? You know, I, I, I wonder about that because, you know, I was even just in court yesterday with someone who was but getting sentenced for having bribed Nuru uh, some $20,000 just to get a friend a job. But it really does, when you look at the people who are being indicted, seem like they're circling around uh, other top positions. So, it, you know, the, the the jury's still out. We could still see some rather large people get caught up in this. Yeah. Jason? You know, it is my, my question is, you know, does this touch any politicians? And so far it hasn't, right? I mean, it touches them, but no, no one's been uh, publicly charged or, or as, as far as I've known, and perhaps, you know, Joe would know more about that. I, I wonder about that, that going forward, because we see that in other cities, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I want to think that we would have heard about it right by now if, if Nuru, you know, be in jail, but, but perhaps Joe has some reporting on that. Well, I mean, it, just to be clear, this person I'm about to mention has not been charged with anything, but uh, a mayoral candidate and supervisor, Asha Safai does have ties uh, to a developer uh, you mentioned earlier, Sia Tabazov, who uh, is uh, charged with uh, bribing Bernie Curran, who we also mentioned earlier. And Tabazov has uh, financial dealings with Safai in five, five different properties. Yeah. Well, and it's a small city, too. It's, you know, seven by seven square miles. And it is, uh, yeah, it's inevitable that some of these people are going to know each other. Jason? And I would say that in 2009, Ed Lee, you know, when, in approving this project, talked about how it meets, uniquely meets the city's goals of aligning the, the, the builders in the city because it was a 50% affordable housing project. So people, we, we in San Francisco support more affordable housing. That was the attempt to do that. And it involved also bribes to make it happen. So again, it comes back to our own kind of values sometimes, right? And, and, and that's to me is the most important point. Yeah. yeah. And I should mention some great reporting by Michael Barba at the SF Standard on, on Tabazov. People should check it out. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the phones now. And uh, staying in San Francisco, Matt, you're next. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a Bay Area native and a longtime 
San Francisco resident. I'm a renter, and I really appreciate you guys discussing this um, over the air because I think San Franciscans are really tired of the fraud that's going on in the city. My comment is that um, you were discussing the the city employee who was facing a judge, and he had a whole you know, number of personal um, friends and neighbors who were speaking on his behalf. I think you said he was appointed, and I, I just want to point out, I, I do think that there is a problem with someone who is in an appointed position for an extended period of time. I don't think you... You, you, you aren't necessarily as you I think there's a tendency not to be as responsible for your position because you have not been elected by the people of the city. Mm. I'll, I'll listen offline. Yeah, I think, Joe, the idea is you hold the person that appointed them if it's the mayor or the board of soups. Yeah, you know, that, that could be the idea. But, you know, even Mayor London Breed herself has made the point that, you know, when commissioners uh, uh, mess up, you know, people don't necessarily go to the commissioners. Right. They go they go to her. And and she's gotten in trouble for trying to control commissioners. Right. With some of the some of the work about <laughs> about right. you know, making them resign or whatever. So I think there's a lot of that. You know, can't win. You know, attitude. Yeah. Uh, we got some other listener comments here. Where did they go? Where do they go? Oh, here's one. Uh, it's impossible to get a permit approved in the city. How are you supposed to operate in a city that makes you go through this Byzantine process? I can see why people wanted to use an expediter to get their building permits approved. I don't support bribery, but San Francisco has created a system that encourages this kind of graft. And Joe, I, you have to you do keep coming back to the process. I mean, in, in many ways, all of this is a result of a process that people find infuriating and s- takes so long. Oh, absolutely. And we're almost seeing whack-a-mole with the city and trying to, like, tackle all the different processes they're finding problems with. The city controller's office has started a whole exhaustive uh, process of going through all the city's Byzantine rules and fixing them to make sure corruption doesn't happen. Uh, and we've even, even got reform package from uh, Raphael Mandelman that he's putting to yeah. ballot. All right, real quick, Jason, we've got to go. Look, that issue is going to be on the ballot, right? <laughs> it's going to be on the ballot. These issues are going to be on the ballot. They will, and we'll talk about them, no doubt, in the coming weeks. Thanks to all my guests this hour, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez from KQED, Jason McDaniel from San Francisco State University, and Joanne Spears from S2 Ethics Strategies. The 9 o'clock hour form is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Dan Zolt. Our interns are Jericho Raininger and Emiko Oda. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Our engineer today is Christopher Beal, our vice president of news, Ethan Toven lindsay and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Scott Schaefer here for Alexis Madrigal. Thank you so much for listening. Stick around for another hour forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. 
And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.